You can open your Bibles to uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 14 today. For the past couple of weeks, we've been studying and talking about all about uh, spiritual gifts because that's the issue Paul is dealing with with the Corinthian church. And so he spends three chapters beginning in chapter 12 answering some questions and addressing some problems related to spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he writes, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Like, I want, I want you to understand these things. I don't, I don't want you to be clueless. Like many within the church of Corinth had a, if you have it, flaunt it kind of approach the spiritual gifts. Like they would show up at church with the attitude like this, like, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Look what I have. Let me show you my gift. Like if there was an expose or a podcast kind of exposing what was going on in Corinth in the day, uh, it might be titled, Charismatic Chaos Comes to Corinth. Right? Because that's what was going on. Like for the Corinthians, uh, the gift of tongues specifically was being misused. Like many within the church had been given that spiritual uh, gift, but they were abusing it and using it without any interpretation. And so Paul begins to address that in chapter 12, uh, but he takes a long way to get to the specifics. Like in chapter 12, he begins by addressing the problem more generally and kind of laying a theological foundation like for our whole understanding of this issue. And as we saw in that first sermon, he said, knowing your gifts pleases God. Like if you're a Christian, like if you're a follower of Christ, then you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit at the point of your conversion. And you have at least one spiritual gift. And knowing that gift will please God using your gift to serve others benefits everyone. Like you were given that gift to serve others. Now being satisfied with your gifts honors the giver. And what I mean by being satisfied is not always looking at the gifts of others in envy and thinking less of what God has given you. Like being satisfied with the gifts God has given you honors the giver and then honoring the gifts of others builds up the body of Christ. Like what would happen at uh, Corinth is they would gather together and they would be envying each other's gifts or flaunting them, right? Instead of you should be, when you gather for worship, you should be able to look at the gifts of others and thank God that God gifted that person in that way because that's how a body works. Like that's the illustration Paul uses here. Just like your body works together, your elbow and your wrist and your hand and your whole arm, just because God has made y'all that way to work together in the same way God has gifted the body of Christ with different spiritual gifts that when we come together, we are able to show people what Jesus looks like as we move toward each other in love, as we serve each other. But there was a, what I would call a curious contradiction in the church of Corinth, and it's this. Spiritual gifts were actually given to build unity, but had somehow become a source of division. Like Paul tells us right there in the text that the reason God gifted the church was so that we would actually be unified. 
Like we would be interdependent on one another and that we would appreciate and respect that interdependence. But instead, it was, look what I can do. Look what gift I have. Isn't this awesome? It became a competition. And so at this point, when I read this story and I know what's going on in Corinth, I would expect Paul to say something like, guys, come on, dial it back a notch. Like pump the brakes. What is wrong with y'all? Like, this is getting weird. Your church is weird, all right? And I understand odd for God, but y'all have gone overboard. And so what we need to do is we're going to take six weeks to fast from spiritual gifts. No more gifts for six weeks. Let's just shut this thing down. But is that what Paul says? No, at the very end of this first chapter, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Because the spiritual gifts are not the problem, are they? The spiritual gifts aren't the problem any more than if you give your son or daughter a bunch of money to go to lunch, and instead of going to lunch, they spend that money on Pokemon cards. That doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. It just means that your kids are terrible, right? And that's exactly what this means. God gave gifts to the church of Corinth, And instead of using them to bless each other, like they use them and misuse them in the wrong way. And so as a result, the gifts aren't bad, but they are. And Paul still says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will, I will show you a still more excellent way. And of course, with that statement, he introduces the love chapter because the problem in Corinth was not that they had too much power. Too many gifts. The problem in Corinth is not too much power. It's too little love. And so in chapter 13, Paul addresses the motivation to use our spiritual gifts. He gets to the heart of the issue and he says, everything minus love equals nothing. And so, hey, if you give your body to be burned as a martyr, if you give and sell everything you have for the you know, sake of the gospel, if you have, you know, heavenly languages to pray in, like if you have incredible gifts and all knowledge, but you don't have love, you gain nothing. In fact, you are nothing. You see, our love for one another is more important than our freedom to use whatever gifts we have, however we want to use them. And so in that passage we saw last week in chapter 13, that the church is not a stage for you to display your gifting. It's a family where you display your affection. It's not a stage where you display your gifting. You don't show up at church so that people could give you their full attention, right? It's so that their attention is drawn to Christ. Like we get to come together And not just see Bobby use his gifts, but we're supposed to come together and use our gifts to serve one another. To magnify love in the body of Christ. To display our affection. And so, understand, your gifts are not really yours. They're given to you for a short time, as we saw last week, as a stewardship. Like Peter writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have Received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
just like we have our house for a while, but it really belongs to the Lord, just like we have our children, parents, for just a short time, but they really belong to the Lord. Even our spiritual gifts are just a gift for a time, but they really belong to Him and to His church, and we're simply stewards of them. And so, have you taken the spiritual gifts test? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Maybe some of y'all took that test and you're like, oh my goodness, there's 16 gifts and I have 15 of them. I am killing it with these gifts. (laughs) And other of you, you took the test and it's 16 gifts and you had none of them. And you're like, am I even a Christian? Can I tell you, you can get a false positive on this test and a false negative. It's just like COVID, right? And so the false positive may be the result of you having an inflated self-image. Look how amazing I am. I got 15. I'm going to get that 16th this week. I'm on it. It may be an inflated view of self, or it may just simply be because you've been a Christian for 25 years. And as a mature Christian, you have stepped into those areas that you know you're weak at, that you know you're not gifted in, but you know it's an act of obedience to do those things. I don't have the gift of giving. And yet I know what the Bible says about giving. I don't have the gift. Like that's how you should be thinking as a mature Christian. Just because you don't have the gift of giving, you still give faithfully and sacrificially. Just because you don't have the gift of mercy does not give you permission to be a jerk. And so you move toward people with mercy. And so over time, it looks like maybe... I had this as a gift, but really it's just you maturing in Christ and seeing the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life. But you can also get a false negative. You could take the test and you get zero out of 16. Why is that? Well, maybe you have a deflated view of yourself. You've listened to the voice of the enemy or you've listened even to the voice of your mom and dad or the voice of your spouse thinking you can do nothing. And so you score yourself low on all of those. Or it may be that you just really never matured and you're just completely inexperienced. You're a newer believer and you've just never served in ministry. So those gifts aren't showing up. But guys, we can grow in our areas of gifting. And we can grow in our areas where we're not gifted. Right? Like we're all called to love one another, to serve to give, to encourage, to share the gospel. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but I'm called to share the gospel. We're all called to build unity within the body of Christ. And as we saw last week, if your spiritual gift is critiquing everyone else's spiritual gifts, you don't have a spiritual gift. You have a spiritual problem. Like if you think you're the person who gets to go to small group and when somebody shares something, you're the one who always says, yeah, but, you know, actually it's this. Like you don't have the gift of yeah, but. I mean, you may be a but, but you don't have that gift, okay? Like if you think all you, like you're here, you're born, you're alive, you exist to critique other people. That's a spiritual problem, guys, not a spiritual gift. We're supposed to build each other up in love. And so with that said, Paul finally gets to the heart of the issue, the real problem that's kind of surfaced in the church of Corinth. And he starts with some specific application to the issue of like 
runaway, charismatic chaos in this church. And so he writes in verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. And no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Can I just be honest with you? This is not the advice I would have given this church, right? Like, would you have given this advice to this church? I mean, this is the Corinthian church. These are the people who at the very beginning of the later letter, Paul says, y'all are so divided. Like, what is this? I am of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas. Like, why can't y'all get along and serve each other? This is the court. This is the church that's taking people to court and suing them. This is the same church that's inviting a kid who's living with his mom and having an incestuous relationship, inviting them into the church and letting them have communion with them, which, by the way, they're getting drunk during communion. This is that same church. This is the same church that's taking the gifts of the Spirit and misusing them. And yet Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I think I would say, hey, dial it. Dial it back a notch. Let's have a little time out. Okay, let's be a little bit more cautious in our approach to these spiritual gifts. But in doing so, in these first few verses, Paul is applying his teaching from chapter 12 on the spiritual gifts and his teaching from chapter 13 on Christian love when he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. My question is, are you obedient to that verse? I mean, that's like, this is the Bible, guys. So Christians, like, this is a command. In fact, there's two commands here. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Is that just too weird for you? Like, I mean, I want to pray for spiritual gifts. I just don't want to get weird, you know? In fact, Paul closes the argument at the end of this chapter this way. He says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And so are you obedient to these commands? Like, do you earnestly desire spiritual gifts? I mean, I know it's not the first command. The first command there is to pursue love. But by putting those back to back, Paul is saying, listen, the solution to the problem of charismatic chaos in the church of Corinth and the solution to the problem of charismatic chaos in the church of the 21st century is not to suppress zeal for spiritual gifts. The solution is to pursue love first. Pursue love first. And then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts as a way to magnify that love 
in the body of Christ. In fact, I'd put it this way. Spiritual gifts are intended to magnify love within the body of Christ. That's their purpose. Like a spiritual gift takes you beyond your your abilities, beyond your limitations, so that what you bring to the table when you serve within your gifting is more than you can do just in your own ability, regardless of how talented you are. Like there is a huge difference. It's like a category difference between somebody who is nice and encouraging and someone who has the supernatural spiritual gift of encouragement. Like there's weight to this. There's substance to this. This isn't mere flattery. Like this past uh, week, really last week on Friday, the day after my birthday, I bit my tongue. Now, I I blame Lester and Janine Hill because they gave me a bunch of Laffy Taffy, right? And I like Laffy Taffy. And so I was eating some Laffy Taffy, like I was, you know, really into it, obviously. And so I bit down on my tongue so bad, like it cut it at the top and at the bottom. Like I was thinking my, my tongue was Laffy Taffy, I guess. And it hurt so bad. So that Sunday during this service... Like, I felt like I was just, my tongue was swelling, and I was kind of garbled in my communication. Well, Monday, I can hardly speak. Tuesday, I can't speak. Like, my tongue is so swollen. I had to do a video thing with a doctor. I had to get some antibiotics. It was just a mess. Like, the Sunday I'm preparing to speak on the gift of tongues, (laughs) I almost bite mine in half, right? And so Tuesday, I go to a staff meeting, and I'm doing the staff devotional over these verses that I just read. I can't even read them, so I have Pastor James read them, and I ask the same question. Are y'all obedient to these verses? But guys, can I just tell you, as he read them, like I had this clear image in my mind. Like, this is a passage I've studied tons Like, I've read so much about spiritual gifts in the last month. I've read this passage like a hundred times or more since I became a Christian 41 years ago. But as he read this verse, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, it's like I had this image of a boy sitting in the grass with the sun beating down on him from behind And then he pulls out a magnifying glass. And you know, the sun is bright and it's hot. And the only thing it's doing to the ground is kind of scorching it and drying it up. Except in Texas where there's fires everywhere, right? Until this kid pulls out his magnifying glass. And he focuses the intensity of the sun on those dry blades of grass. And they begin to smoke. Like when I was a kid, I did this all the time. It was so fun. Not for my parents, but for me. And you see the spark happen and the flame begin. Guys, that's how spiritual gifts work. Like when you bring your gifts to the foot of Christ and you say, I want to use these gifts you've given me to serve this body. What you're doing is you come in and you actually get to magnify love within the body. Like you get to bring something that in your flesh, in your human nature, 
in your finitude, you would never, ever be able to do. You will have a word of wisdom or a word of encouragement. You'll have an act of service, a gift that you bring that will be so much more than it could be if it was simply you in your flesh bringing something. It's a magnification of love. That's the way it's supposed to work. Like, would encouragement for you carry more weight and have more substance to it, substance to it if it didn't simply originate? in the goodwill of some human being, but instead was born and empowered by the Spirit of God? It's not the encouragement of, hey, your hair looks great, but it's an encouragement that has weight to it because it comes with the wisdom and power of God. Sam Storms puts it this way. He says, a spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and imparts his power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, that's a mouthful, but it really captures everything that spiritual gifts are. First, spiritual gifts are simply the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like God himself, the spirit of God in you and showing himself and showing himself off. Like this is what I am and this is what I do in the life of believers who are yielded to me. And he shows himself by giving us abilities that we don't have and capacities that we don't possess and showing himself strong. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in those whose hearts are completely his. And he's doing that today. So do you want to exceed your limitations in serving, in encouragement, in giving, in teaching, in leading? Like, do you earnestly desire spiritual gifts? so that you can magnify love in the body of Christ. If you do, the way you would earnestly desire them, one is you would lean into the gifts you already have. Like God's given you gifts right now as a Christian, and you have them, you need to lean into them and ask God to grow them by your constant use. Like you may have the gift of teaching, but you haven't been teaching. You may have the gift of service, but you haven't been serving. You may have the gift of giving, but you haven't been giving. Lean into those gifts and ask God to magnify love in the body of Christ and pray for more gifts. Like pray for more. Not so that you can exalt yourself, not so that you can be like the Corinthians and show up at church and say, look at me, but pray for even more gifts so that you can magnify love in the body of Christ. Our team is going to go out from India, and we're going to be praying for that team that God would gift them supernaturally with the gift of evangelism, that they would go village to village and hut to hut, and that they would meet that man or woman of peace who would embrace the gospel and reach that village. Guys, the Holy Spirit can give you additional gifts. If you've heard like I had as a new Christian that, listen, when you got saved, you were baptized in the spirit and you got your gifts and that's all the gifts you're ever going to get. You may not have opened them yet, but that's how it works. I find nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. 
Like it makes sense. It makes really good logical sense. And it especially keeps you from going over the deep end with gifts, right? But then years and years ago, I was teaching 2 Timothy to my youth group at Hill Country Austin. And I came across this verse in the first chapter where Paul writes a discouraged and overworked young pastor. He says, hey, Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. What? Like Paul is reminding Timothy, listen, when I ordained you and when I laid hands on you and prayed for you and left you in Ephesus as their pastor, God uniquely gifted you for the task that was before you. And you just need to fan that into flame because I know you're timid, but that's not from the Spirit of God. So will you commit to pray that God would use your gifts to magnify love? Would you commit to pray that God would give you everything that he has for you? Would you commit to pray that God would give you even more gifts to serve him? And so what gifts can I pray for? Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought here. There's the uh, cessationist school. And then there's the continualist school. Cessationists are Christians who love Jesus and love the Bible, but they believe that there are certain gifts of the Spirit that ended with either the closing of the canon of Scripture, the last book being written, the book of Revelation in about 90 A.D., or with the death of the last apostle, John. And so some miracle gifts, tongues, prophecy, miracles, healing, that ended there. And there are extremes of this camp on this end of it. And then there's the continualist camp of Christians, and they are what they sound like, continual. Like they believe that all the gifts given in the New Testament are for today, and that they're still at function within the church, and we can pray for those. And there's extremes in this camp as well, and we're afraid of these extremes. We see them on TV and the guy walks on stage, puts his hand on your head, and next thing you know, you're flopping at the floor, and you're like, well, I don't want that. And then you see these people who the extreme in this camp believe that all the gifts are gone, and that everything is now just kind of our own talent and skills that we bring to the table, because God's absolutely sovereign in everything, and He's going to do what He's going to do. Can I just tell you, I, I used to lean toward this, But the more and more I saw what God was doing on the mission field, the more and more I started hearing from our own missionaries that we, you know, we fund and support of how God is showing up. And the more I heard stories, even from people here in the States of how God is gifting and using and speaking today, the more I started being completely in the continualist camp. Like I've got a friend who's in Tunisia right now who works with North African Muslims. Half of the Muslim Christians now in his church came to Christ because Jesus appeared to them in a dream dressed in white and said, seek me. And they woke up and they sought him. Like I read a story recently that just like I read it and just wept of this this group of refugees 
leaving Syria, going across the Mediterranean Sea in a large boat. The boat was packed down with Muslim refugees, and a family was there with their little girl, and she was sitting near the front of the boat, and then, to their horror, they saw her fall overboard. And so they screamed. They tried to stop the boat. It was the middle of the night. What could they do? And then they looked back, and over on the side here was sitting their daughter. And they went to her and they said, we saw you fall in. What happened? And she said, the man who walked on water caught me. The man dressed in white. They'd never heard of anyone walking on water. They'd never heard of this man dressed in white. But they stopped for the night at a Greek isle. And a missionary had started a bonfire on the beach in hope of gathering some of the refugees so he could share the gospel with them. And as he got up to speak, the Lord laid on his heart a new way to introduce the gospel. And he said, can I tell you about a God who walks on water? And the family came and said, who is this God? And he shared the gospel with them. And they all embraced Christ as their Savior. Guys, here's the truth. The Holy Spirit will do whatever he pleases to exalt Christ and to make him known. And so the rule to to follow in New Testament interpretation is assume that it's for you unless the context says it's not. And so I believe that the gifts of the uh, Holy Spirit in the New Testament are still available today. They should be earnestly desired and appropriately practiced according to the teaching of Scripture to build up the body of Christ, advance the kingdom of God, and honor the name of Jesus. So, will you pray for more gifts to magnify love? Years ago, really, honestly, 40 years ago, I used to go on Friday nights in Atlanta to the streets to share the gospel. And on this particular night, I brought my best friend, Kevin, with me. He was three years younger than me. We went out, shared the gospel. We had a couple guys from the Bible study we were part of who came as well, two charismatic guys. We didn't know them very well. They were great. They're sharing the, the gospel. We're sharing the gospel. Afterwards, we'd meet and pray together. And so they we prayed, and they prayed for us, and they laid hands on us. Like we're two Baptist kids, right? And they lay hands on us, and they begin to pray for us. Now, they didn't pray in tongues. They didn't mention tongues. They just prayed God's blessing on us, and that we'd be filled with the Spirit of God. Afterwards, I said, well, that was pretty cool. And my friend Kevin said, I don't know about you, but I was biting my tongue. And I said, biting your tongue? Why? And he goes, well, I didn't want to do anything weird. Guys, how dishonoring to the Spirit of God. Like, that cannot be our goal. Church, that cannot be our goal, that we don't do anything weird. Who defines weird? You're all weird. It's Sunday morning, you're in church singing to a God who is invisible. You're weird. Our goal can't be, I don't want to be weird. Our goal has to be, I want to be completely obedient to Christ. I want to use my gifts to honor Him, to build up the body, and to magnify love. So how can we use our gifts to magnify love? Well, I could give you a 
any number of examples that wouldn't be weird, right? Like we could focus on the gift of administration. Like that would be a great gift to magnify love. Somebody who organizes things and make things happen. Nobody would complain about that. The gift of helps or service. People who give their time and energy just to fill in the gaps where things are missing within the church to make things happen. The gift of encouragement. That would be awesome. Like lean into encouragement. Lean in to giving if you have the gift of giving. I mean, so far, so good. No one ever gets weirded out by too much healthy and clear organization, right? Nobody gets weirded out by too much sacrificial service or giving or encouragement. Nobody says, I could never go back to that church because everybody smiled at me and said they loved me and like it was weird. Like nobody says that, right? And But Paul knows that and Paul instead commands pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. And then he starts talking about speaking in tongues. Can I just tell you, are there two more potentially divisive spiritual gifts than prophecy and tongues? But the truth is, guys, if you pursue love, it need not be that way. Paul doesn't say pursue tongues. He doesn't say pursue prophecy. He says pursue love. And if you're pursuing love and earnestly desiring whatever God has for you, you will not be divisive like the church of Corinth was. The gifts are not the problem. The gifts are never the problem. The problem is a lack of love. The gift of prophecy is the divine enablement to reveal truth. At times, spontaneously, as God gives you a word for someone. Paul writes, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and their consolation. Have you ever either been given or have you ever received some sort of word of prophecy, a word of wisdom or knowledge, like gifts that really aren't even defined in the Bible. It just says they're there. Have you ever received one of those? Have you ever had one placed on your heart to share with somebody? I remember years ago, Cindy Hawks, the pastor's wife for Hill Country Austin, said that she was reading her Bible one morning, and I think she was reading Psalm 147 that says, the Lord delights in those who fear him. And she just thought, I know that's true, but it can't be true. I mean, I know it's true of my husband, and I know it's true of my kids, but how can that be true of me? I know me. And she was really struggling with the idea that God would delight in her. That's insane. I'm such a sinner. I'm so unworthy. And she closed her morning devotional by saying, God, do you really delight in me? I want to believe it. I know it's true because it's in the Bible. I just don't feel it. An hour later, a knock came on the door from a lady in her church who had baked cookies that morning. And as she packaged them up, she prayed, who do I take these cookies to? And God placed Cindy on her heart. And she went to Cindy's door and she gave her those cookies that she had made. And she said, Cindy, I really believe God wants me to tell you that he delights in you. And Cindy just started crying 
which made the lady feel weird because the cookies were really good. <laughs> but guys, wouldn't you love to come to church and hear something specific that God has for you at a time when you're down, at a time when you need encouragement? That didn't have to come from the pastor but came from a brother or sister in Christ who for some reason got it laid it on their heart to be that encouraging word of wisdom or encouraging word of prophecy for you. I think here's a good place to start. Before you go to small group next time, before you come to church next week, pray, Father, would you give me a specific word of upbuilding, encouragement, or consolation for someone in my church family? And would you give me the courage to share it? I mean, there have been times where God has placed things on my heart that I knew, like, I need to share this. And I've told them, but I didn't tell them God really placed this on my heart because I was, I thought, well, what if he didn't? What if it's just indigestion? What if it's just me? Like, I don't, can I just tell you, Calling it what it is gives glory to the one who gave it to you. It's kind of like if, if I'm a great husband and a great father and a great neighbor, but I never mention Jesus, my neighbors may think I'm awesome, but they don't realize, no, Jesus is awesome. And if I give you a word of encouragement that God has placed on my heart, but I just never mention this is something God placed on my heart to tell you, You walk away thinking I'm awesome instead of the giver of that word. Next is the gift of tongues. Talk about a divisive gift. The gift of tongues is the divine enablement to speak or worship or pray in a language unknown to the speaker. In fact, Paul says, listen, the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but God, for no one understands him except God. In fact, he goes on to say the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who speaks, who prophesies, builds up the church. For some people read that and they think, well, then why would you want tongues? I don't know, because Paul said, I speak in tongues more than anybody. I don't know, maybe because Paul said, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I don't know. I mean, read the whole chapter, guys. Don't just get caught up on one verse and think, well, I better not want that gift because it's just all about me. Paul's statement that it builds you up is not an indictment against tongues. It's an affirmation of it. Like self-edification is a good thing. It's just not the best thing. We're told by Jude, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's okay to edify yourself. It's just not the best thing. And if God would give you a private prayer language for worship, for praying for others, to build intimacy with him, I don't have that gift, but I have friends who pray for me with their private prayer language, and I'm so grateful for that. See, here's the curious contradiction in the church of Corinth. Spiritual gifts were given to magnify love toward others, but they had somehow become a source of self-exaltation. The goal is not 
The goal is edification, not self-expression. And so church, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want everything you have for us and everything you have for this church. We want to know you and to make you known. But Lord, we don't want to do that in our own power and in our own strength. Lord, we don't want to look back on our lives and say, look what we did. We don't want to look back on uh, the growth of our church and be able to teach a seminar in how to do it. Lord, we want to be able to say, only God could have done that. Only God could have done that in our family. Only God could have done that in my life. Only God could have done that in our church. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would fill them with your spirit, with all wisdom and knowledge, that you would gift them in a way that would make much of you. Lord, that they would hold those gifts with an open hand, that they would see that they are stewards of them and that they would use their gifts to magnify love in the body of Christ. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Guys, why don't we stand together and as the worship team plays, I'd ask you to come and take your elements of communion, take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together in just a moment. said this is my body about the bread at communion he was taking something that was just completely common bread and he was saying of it because of what it represented that it was now like this bread was like of infinite value because of what it pointed to. He said he took this common thing and he he made it sacred because it was his. Guys, in the same way, the Bible says, just like the bread is the body, Scripture says you are the body. And in saying that, it's, it's taking something that's so common and ordinary, you and me, sacred word over you like you as we come together using our gifts to serve each other and to exalt Christ we show the world what Jesus is like this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and for anyone here who struggles with the thought what do I have to offer What gifts can I bring? What do I matter? That was all true about you at one time. You had nothing to bring to Jesus except your sin. But he took it on himself. And you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believed in your heart that God had raised him from the dead. And you were born again, baptized in the Spirit. And in his victory, Jesus brought gifts to his church. 
now as a gifted saint, you are washed in the blood of Christ. This is his blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of him. Back to my earlier illustration of uh, how terrible your children are. If you give them money for food and they buy a toy or Pokemon cards, that's not a slant on your generosity. It's a bad choice on their part. And so we don't want to shrink away what God gives us because someone takes advantage of it. You can see them on TV and maybe it looks ridiculous. And so you don't want to be that. But once again, we can't respond to either an extreme or the perception of the world. In the first and second century, the Romans called Christians atheists because we didn't believe in their pantheon of gods. We said they weren't gods at all. There's only one God. And they said that we were cannibals because they heard that we ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus. And they said that we were we were committing incest because we were married to our sisters and brothers in Christ. 2,000 years later, we're still coming to the table of communion with our wife, who is our sister in Christ, our husband, who is our brother in Christ, and we're celebrating the body and blood of Christ and worshiping the one true God. See, we got to go with what the Bible says. And 1 Corinthians 14 is what the Bible says. And here's some great advice uh, that I got from a book by R.C. Sproul 30 years ago. If you're going to err, and we all err, right? We don't, we're all going to get to heaven and have a seminar or two to sit through, right? If you're going to err, err in the direction of giving God the most glory. And that's what we should do. We should want Christ honored in our church through our gifts, through our love for each other. We want to make him known to the city and to the nations. I'll be down front if y'all have any questions or want to talk or anything. If you're new here, thank you for coming. God bless you for being with us. You're dismissed.